0: For the National Guard, as for so many organizations these days, much is virtual. Like the charitable 5K race the National Guard Association is sponsoring and its upcoming general conference with all of the armed services chiefs. But the Guard's mission remains real enough, and for an update, we turn to the president of the National Guard Association of the United States, retired Army National Guard Brigadier General J. Roy Robinson. General Robinson, good to have you on.
1: Tom, how are you doing? Thank you so much for having us.
0: First, let's talk about some of the topical things. You've got a 5K race. The ending is just about to happen. Tell us what the benefit is and how many people you've had so far.
1: So we've got well over 300. We've got, I think, 48 out of 50 states represented. You know, we do a 5K run every year at our annual conference, which we have somewhere across the 54 states' territories of the District of Columbia. This year, it's a little different because of the environment. We're having a virtual conference, which will actually be a live stream conference. Conference is what we're doing. And as a part of that, we're going to have a virtual 5K. And members can sign up, and they can go out and set their own course, so to speak, and time themselves in their run or their walk, whichever they prefer. And then they submit their times, and we'll publish them on the virtual 5K board that we're keeping. So... It's an opportunity to kind of, you know, make things a little bit normal, as normal as we can make it uh, as, as we venture into this virtual conference environment.
0: Yeah, as a longtime runner myself, I've noticed that quite a robust infrastructure has developed in recent months to support the activity of virtual road races.
1: You know, it's amazing. I got a call. In fact, I've had a couple of calls, but one was from one of our really senior leaders. His comment was, you know, I got a feeling I'm I may set a world record on this thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Nobody can tell if you're running downhill, I guess, for <laughs> to get your distance done.
1: Yeah, it's a good opportunity, I have to say. I didn't know how this would be received by our membership. You know, we have about forty five thousand members. We represent about 450,000 members of the Army National Guard and the Air National Guard, and we advocate on their behalf over on the Hill. So I didn't know how this would be received initially, and i got to tell you, I'm surprised, pleasurably surprised, by the way that this has been received and the participation that we've had.
0: And uh, about the uh, conference itself, the virtual live-streamed conference, what are the big topics, do you think, on the mind of the service leaders as they talk to the National Guard members? i
1: tell you, it's really a unique experience. So this is the 142nd General Conference. We've been gathering for that long. When we put on a conference, we normally invite all of the senior leaders. Actually, this conference, we actually have four sitting members of the Joint Chiefs. Um, They'll come in, and, and they'll talk about the issues that the Army is facing and kind of the things that we're trying to work through with the Army National Guard the senior leader of the Air Force will come in and and talk about the Air Force issues and uh, how they affect the Air National Guard and kind of what the future looks like. We have a brand new uh, chief of the National Guard Bureau who has only been in place. It's General uh, Dan Hokinson, I guess for a little less than a month. So this gives him an opportunity to get up in front of our membership and talk about his path forward with the National Guard. Of course, he's over the Army and the Air and then we'll have each of the directors. We have a director that runs the Army National Guard, and we have a director that runs the Air National Guard. And both of those directors are Lieutenant Generals. It's Lieutenant General Mike Lowe and uh, Lieutenant General John Jensen. And they'll come in, and this gives them an initial opportunity to kind of uh, lay the groundwork for the vision that they have for each of the two Army National Guard Directorate and Air National Guard Directorate as they move forward in their leadership role.
0: We're speaking with retired Brigadier General Roy Robinson, president of the National Guard Association of the United States, and looking at the bigger issue as National Guard members and Air National Guard members throughout the country deal with their personal lives, their service and training requirements of the National Guard in all of this pandemic. What's your sense of how they're coping and what some of the challenges are?
1: I got to tell you, from a guy who spent 33 years in uniform, In the Army National Guard down in the state of Mississippi, I am absolutely in awe of the way that the members of the National Guard have been able to respond and continue to respond over the last couple of years. It's amazing to me. A lot of people are not as familiar with all of the activities that the Guard may take on, but I can tell you on any given day, somewhere across the 54 states, territories, or the District of Columbia, you have members of the National Guard who are responding to fires, to floods, tornadoes, regional small earthquake disasters, some type of civil unrest. If you sit down, and like I do occasionally, I have a retirement home down in Alabama, and a couple of weeks ago I was watching the evening news that was focused on the Alabama local news. And I I guess uh, maybe three out of the five lead stories on the evening news that evening involved members of the National Guard responding in some way. And uh, I got to say, I mean, it's quite a responsibility that these young men and women have taken on. And most don't realize, I mean, we still have over 20,000, I think it's about 25,000 soldiers and airmen that are still in Iraq, Afghanistan, Kosovo, Kuwait, and even in the Sinai. You know, the overseas warfight mission continues. Um, I think at the peak of the COVID-19 response, we had about 50,000 members, just under 50,000, that were on some type of orders throughout the 54 states and territories in the the district. That continues. I mean, uh, I, I suspect that, as you know, the president has extended the federal declaration, and I think you'll see most of those members of the National Guard as they continue through the end of the year, Until somebody defines what the end of COVID-19 looks like, they'll continue to provide the support in the local communities, just like they've been doing.
0: And And of course, they have to deal with the danger of the situation that they're addressing directly, such as civil unrest or some kind of a natural disaster, and overlaid with the fact that they're out there close to people, close to one another in all of this COVID. So do you sense that they're equipped properly for all of that?
1: You know, a lot of the equipment we continue to upgrade, we continue to try to bring in new equipment. But I tell you, there's one significant issue that we've talked about a lot, and we're going to continue to talk about it. Based on the status that the soldier or airman is in, they may or may not have medical coverage. They have to be on an order that exceeds 30 days to be covered by TRICARE. That's if they're in a federal status. If they're in a state active duty status, which we still have a lot of soldiers and airmen that are, they may or may not be covered by any health insurance unless they bring their own private health insurance with them when they're mobilized. And if you think about it, over the course of the COVID-19 response, I think the number I read this morning was we've had 4,566 members of the National Guard that have tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, Fortunately, and thankfully, we've only had two deaths, but I have to say, these members of the National Guard have been on the front lines with doctors and nurses doing the exact same thing that the first responders are doing in constant contact with society and all the risks that go with uh, trying to respond to a pandemic in that way, and I have to say there's a mechanism If these soldiers were mobilized and deployed overseas and they were in a uh, theater of war and they came home and they were taken off of the mobilization orders, they would have six months of what we call transitional medical coverage. It's a program called TAMP, T-A-M-P. But because of a, I like to think it's kind of a fluke in the law, kind of an oversight, if they're mobilized for a period of time within the continental U.S., and they come off of that mobilization, they don't qualify for that transitional coverage. So we're working with the Congress. We have a lot of support in the Congress, and we're working legislation to change the law to include service within the continental U.S. in the TAMP program. But, you know, we're having soldiers and airmen that are coming off of mobilization orders almost daily, and they don't have that six-month transition coverage, even though – They are the ones that have been in constant contact with members of society and exposed, obviously, to the COVID-19. So we're working that very hard. I'm hoping that members of Congress are listening. Uh, The problem is that uh, it takes time. As you know, Congress doesn't always move on our schedule. And right now we have soldiers and airmen who are being affected by that oversight because they don't have the transitional coverage.
0: All right. Well, let's hope they're listening this time around, because I know you and I have discussed that before, and maybe that'll come to pass in the next session. Retired Brigadier General Roy Robinson is president of the National Guard Association of the United States. As always, thanks so much for joining me.
1: Tom, thank you so much for having us, and thank you for what you do for the uh, members of the National Guard.
0: We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device by subscribing in Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.